Second Chronicles chapter 20. Time to time, uh, there are, uh, as one person said, you know, uh, I have a tremendous gift. I, I didn't coin this. I, do, I just like the, uh, like the expression of it. I, I have tremendous insight into the obvious. I just like that, right? If it slaps me in the face, I get it. And we're, uh, this sermon comes out of that. And by the end of it, I will explain a little bit more as we go through this. But what's come to my attention because of obvious things that are happening is different kinds of very strange assaults against people's lives. I've had more people tell me lately, I've had trouble sleeping. I've had anxiety attacks. Numbers of people have told me they've had anxiety attacks. And if you're one of them, know that you're not the only one. Numbers of people have told me that. Some others have told me of other strange assaults that are going on in their lives, marriages, finances businesses, whatever. And so I believe there's a reason for that. And I believe that this text gives us some understanding of not only why that happens, but what can come out of that if we do what is right. So I want to look with you at this. We're going to be all over the place. This is the attack that happens And so I want to just look at that. We're going to go forward. We're going to go backwards. I'm going to give you deep theology this morning. So let's look. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Amorites, and some of the Menunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Jerusalem. The messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army of Eden is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. And they are already at Hazan Tarman, which is another name for El, for En Giad. And Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. And so from all the towns of Judah and all of Jerusalem came to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judea and Jerusalem and in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. I want to think firstly at the thought of why the enemy is attacking. Now, we read the understanding the enemy's coming in. This is a quite uh, uh, an alliance, the Moabites, the Amorites, uh, some other uh, of the Minyites. Uh, uh, it's just fascinating to know that these alliances are happening. It seems like a conversion of enemies are coming together against Jehoshaphat at one moment. And it says the very interesting word, in the very first verse of our text, chapter Second Chronicles 20, verse 1, these first two words, after that. So here's the deep theology. 
I want you to grasp this. I want you to thank God for somebody who can understand the deep mysteries of God. That if we're looking at chapter 20 here, and we're saying after that, we have to then go back to chapter 19 to discover what after that meant. I know. I know. Isn't that impressive? Aren't you like in awe of like, wow, that's revelation. Right? Chapter 19. We have to go back to chapter 19 to understand what after that means. And so Jehoshaphat takes over the kingdom and God begins to do some good things. He begins to reform some of the worship and the standards that had been lost in the kingdom of God at this point. He begins to put uh, things in order. He begins to work towards them. Uh, 19, uh, 2 Chronicles 19, 3 and 4. So, this is a prophet speaking to Jehoshaphat. There are some good things in you. You have removed the Ashtaroth poles throughout the land. You have committed yourself to seeking the Lord. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem. And he went out among the people and traveled to Beersheba, to the, uh, to the high, uh, to the hill country of Ephraim, encouraging people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Also, it says in verse 9, these were the, his instructions that you may act to fear the Lord with faithfulness and an undivided heart. Then when it comes to your fellow citizens in the outlying towns, when a murder case or some other violation of God's law commands, decrees, or regulations, you must warn them not to sin against the Lord so that he will not be angry with you. Do this and you will not be guilty. Amariah, the high priest, will have the final say concerning cases that involve the Lord. Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the leader of the tribe of Judah, will have the final say when it comes to civil matters. Levites will assist you in making sure that justice is served. Take courage that as you fulfill your duties that the Lord may be with you who do what is right. So here's Jehoshaphat. He's setting things in. He's taking down the idols of Ashtaroth, which had to do with all sorts of uh, false uh, religion and false worship and all sorts of uh, doctrines and things like that. Uh, He begins to instruct the people, you fear God, you serve him with an undivided heart. Put your hope in in God. And if there's some violation, we're going to have to deal with it so that it's not going to go beyond that and it's not going to, the land's not going to become full of unrighteousness. God, Jehoshaphat's contending for a new level. Something that Israel had lost. Something that had been, they had at one time, but now because of circumstances had been taken, uh, bad decisions uh, taken away, here comes the enemy uh, now moving as he makes this decision to do what is right, to press for the growth of the kingdom. That as that happens, as he's starting to contend for all of this, the enemy attacks. The enemy attacks the people of God. Mark, uh, Matthew rather, 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist, beginning preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people 
are attacking it. God has, and I've mentioned the five things, God has something for you to be. God has something for you to do. God has something for you to have. God has somewhere for you to go. He has a place for you to, in, some, some people for you to influence us. The devil understands that. The enemy of our soul understands the place that you have in the kingdom of God. I was speaking with Logan, uh, and uh, I, I, we had, uh, the Sunday school was about the rapture. And as we were talking about that, he uh, had met a guy who, you know, told him that he figured out the date of the rapture and all of that kind of stuff. And he says, he, we were discussing, why? 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 And, and, and Logan actually said, well, you know, think, if, if God told us, the information would get to the devil. The devil wants to know when, and he would put a full-out assault on the church right before Jesus came back. And he knows the season, I get that, but if he knew the exact day, and I thought, well, that's profound. And he said, yeah, and you can buy his book that's coming out very shortly. And so I was like, yeah. But the thought there of that, you know, the devil targets when he sees something. When you begin to contend for God's best for your life, in family, in ministry, in finances, in dominion, in whatever, mark it down, the enemy will attack. It's going to happen. The enemy's goal is to get you to back down from consecration. That's the enemy's goal, is to get you to back down from your commitment to God and just settle for something less. Don't make yourself contend for more. Settle for what you have. When Jehoshaphat begins to put in these reformations, after this, the enemy comes. The key to all that God has for you is who are you? That's a key. Who are you? That can be measured in a different ways, but it's not just in your abilities. Right? Many people will say, oh, I, you know, who, who are you? Oh, my name is Keith, and da, da, da. Or they'll describe it by what you, oh, I'm a carpenter, I'm a milkman, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a petroleum transfer engineer. You know what that is? Gas station attendant. But anyway. Right? We, we mark of what we do. But God is concerned with who you are. And when you begin to try to advance his kingdom, he does attack. Second Samuel 5, 17 and 18. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized their forces to capture him. David was told that they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out upon the valley of Rephaim. They were not coming over to congratulate him. They're not like, hey, David's king, this is going to be great for Israel, let's go give him a party. They came to kill him. They came to capture him. They came to take him away so that he could not fulfill that which God had for his life. 
The same is true in the strategy today. God wants, the devil, the enemy rather, wants to stop us from going forward in the things of God. He wants to get us to back down and make a choice that we'll, we'll let the reforms go. We'll leave the Ashtaroth up. We won't contend for the, for the plan and the purposes and the righteousness of God. We'll just, we'll leave that. The problem is, if you do that, the enemy is still going to take more than you want him to take. He's not going to leave you in peace. He's not just going to back off and say, oh, you know what, that's fine. We'll negotiate a treaty, and that'll be fine. You know, in the Pact of Steel, they both knew that the other was dealing with the devil. The Pact of Steel was an agreement between Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin that they would not attack each other. But from day one, neither one believed because they knew they were dealing with a madman. Isn't it interesting that Hitler knew Stalin was a madman, Stalin knew Hitler was a madman, and we know them today as both being madmen. Isn't that interesting? Right? They knew they had made a pact with the devil. They knew they could not trust the other. And so finally... Uh, as uh, uh, Stalin began to build his fortifications up and move his troops, Hitler heard of that. Whether Stalin was going to invade or not, we don't know. But Hitler then tried to beat him to the punch. And he had actually asked the emperor of Japan to invade Russia from the other side and cause Russia to be in a two-front war. Had he done that, they probably would have defeated Russia. But instead, six months later, the, US, the Japanese attacked the United States. Uh, and Hitler was said to be furious because he understood now that there would be too many fronts for the access to fight on. But they couldn't trust each other. You can't make a deal with the devil. You can't make a deal and he'll just leave you alone. We're contending. We've got a new building. We're seeing good things. And so, as these things are happening in the congregation, it's like the enemy's at work. And let's examine how he works, because there's numbers of ways that are clear in our text. And in the word of God. Verse 2 and 3 of our text says, The messengers came and told Jehoshaphat that a very vast army from Edom is coming and marching on you from beyond the Dead Sea. And they're already at Hazem Tama. Which, just to put this in context, there's a great army coming, they're marching, and you know what? They're already in Buffalo. They're not that far away now. They're on their way. They're coming close. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified of the news. He begged the Lord for guidance. And so he ordered everyone in Jerusalem and in Judah to become fast. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the major, major ways the devil works, that when you read of the enemy trying to attack the people of God, it is always through fear and intimidation. The devil works through fear and intimidation. Silly soul, don't contend. Settle back and there will be nothing to be afraid of. 
but you go forward, and this could happen, or that could happen. And you know, he works by trying to bring, in our text, it's an overwhelming opposition. It's not just one country. In fact, it's not just two countries. It's three different enemies. That's overwhelming odds that he's bringing against the people of God, that he's bring, that is coming against the work and the plan and the future of God. Second Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, timidity but of power of love and of self-discipline. Here, Timothy was losing it. People are beginning to be jailed. Uh, Timothy had possibly, we know in the book of Hebrews, he had spent time in jail for preaching the gospel. We know that uh, that there were uh, others that may have even been uh, uh, persecuted. Some maybe even have been martyred. And Timothy was beginning to back off of his calling, of, of what God had called him to do. Intimidation will challenge the way you act and try to get you to lose out on what God has planned for your life. First Samuel 21, 10 through 13. So David escaped from Saul and he goes to the king of, at Gath. But the officers of the king were unhappy about him being there, said, isn't this David of the land? Isn't this the one the people honor and sing and dance, saying Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David heard these comments, and he was very afraid of what the king of Gath might do. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on the door and letting drool come down his beard. Fear will change your behavior. When you're afraid... When the devil gets you to think he's going to win, it'll change your behavior. You know, I was thinking about this. In, in our fellowship history, and in, uh, I'll even use one, my own personal history, but, you know, when, we, when Pastor Mitchell first got the revelation, let's just send workers to different places. Pastor Harold Warner went to Kearney, Arizona. Kearney, Arizona is just a small little mining town, but they needed a pastor there. He shows up on a Friday in the, in the, uh, uh, to take over this little four-square church that we used to be a part of, and he's taking it over, and he gets there on Friday, and on Saturday, there's a parade in town. So Pastor Warner does what, you know, what we do. He got in the back of the parade and he started preaching. Started preaching as he's going down the street. And as he's going down, he sees one of the council members of this church glaring at him. Like, mm, this isn't going to work. So on Monday, he goes back to Prescott. But it's in that trip back. The car hit some sand, flipped over. Pastor Warner became paralyzed from the waist down. It was in that next service Pastor Mitchell had to deal with the issue of people, you know, oh, we shouldn't be planting churches. Look at that. That's gonna, this is what's going to happen. We shouldn't do it, you know. And he made a call. 
He said, I am, we're not backing down. Pastor Warner didn't back down. Just consider these two things. Pastor Mitchell didn't back down. We're probably going to pass 4,000 churches very shortly. If we haven't already. As the fellowship is growing now exponentially, and it's so fast now, I think, they've, I think Pastor Campbell figured out there's 60 conferences now in our fellowship, so there's churches being planted more, uh, you know, more than one a week. Not only that, Pastor Warner said, no, this is not the end. He wouldn't take this as the end. He kept pressing to preach the gospel. He ends up going to Tucson, pastoring the, probably the largest church in our fellowship in the, in the United States. But at that moment, it was back down, man, back down. Pastor Greg Mitchell tells the story that when he began to feel the push of preaching for, preaching for healing, contending for healing, it wasn't always the way. I'll, I'm going to actually touch on that a little bit tonight. It wasn't always the way. You know, some of you grab a chair, let's test your legs and all. That was new at one point to us. We, it's, not, it's not what I was, grew up in the Lord in. To see those kind of healings and to see that. When I got saved, it wasn't quite like that. that. That came in and thank God it did. But as soon as he made the decision to do that, he's going to uh, preach on healing. He begins to preach his first crusade. And man, I'm telling you, his stomach is like, uh, he ends up getting an ulcer. He's praying for people that are getting healed while he's in excruciating pain. But he broke through that. You'll see tomorrow night, if you watch on the conference, he will call out specific issues. And throughout the week, people will call in. People will be there at the conference and will have gotten healed. In my personal ministry, when I uh, took over the church, at the time it was in East Hampton, the Chirkaby Church, God really began to deal with me to take that church onto the next level, to go on full-time. And as soon as I did, people left the church. Coincidence? I doubt it. I had only been there six weeks. Cape Cod. They're finally getting a building. And I, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but they're finally getting a building. They're not the building they have today, but the building that they had before. And they're changing this, the tennis court. It's a miracle of God. I mean, the Cape Cod Times was calling the owner, reporters were calling the owner of the building saying, don't give it to the church. Don't give it to that church. Give it to anywhere. You know, and there he's like, nope, makes me want to give it to him more. And so he, uh, Mr. LaRusso was, Paul LaRusso was kind of an interesting man. I actually knew him from even before I was a Christian. And his dealings on Cape Cod were, were quite famous. But anyway, he, 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 he's more determined to do that. He do, they get in there. They get this wonderful facility. They've tripled their sanctuary size. They have classrooms. They have all sorts of things. A bunch of people begin to rise up in rebellion and leave the church. Coincidence? 
Hell will always try to aim to get you to back down. And he'll use fear and intimidation to do it. Because the aim of the enemy isn't really just to attack. It's to get you to change your heart. I know I've ministered on this scripture before here, but it fascinates me. First Samuel 11, 1 and 2, about a month later, King Naash of Ammon led his army against the Israel town of Jaab Gilead. Jaash Gilead. And the citizens of Jaash asked for peace. Make a treaty with us and we'll be your servants, they pleaded. All right, Naash said, but only on one condition, that I gouge out your right eye of every one of you so that you are a disgrace to Israel. Let's just back down, man. Come here. I'm going to take your vision. Right eye. Most people are right-handed. This would be your aiming eye in war. If you happen to be left-handed, it would be your left eye, but most people, it's your right eye. It would be the thought of, I want half your vision. I want. But you know what amazes me is their thought, firstly, is... All right, man, let's just have peace. Can we all just get along? Because the issue is your heart. The issue is, can the devil change your heart? Pastor Campbell preached a great sermon one time. He had a year from hell. He, uh, I think he said he had to make 18 pastoral changes and only three of them didn't involve some kind of failure. He said, it wasn't so much the fact that I had to deal with that. It was how the devil was trying to use that to change my heart. That would I come out and be the same man afterward? That that's the strategy of hell. Naash will say, let me give, give, give me half your vision, because I want you to be a disgrace. I wonder how much the devil laughs when the church outside puts the rainbow banner and says, all are welcome. A church that one time had revival. A church that now will not deal with sin. It's just become a social club. I wonder how much in the spiritual, that is a disgrace. But they've backed down. They've compromised. They've said, no more. We won't, you know what? That's not the way society is anymore. Something changed their heart. Because the enemy's plan is to conquer. To destroy. Peter says it this way. Stay alert. First Peter 5 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls along like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He's looking to destroy, to totally ruin. Well, chew and chomp and chew and chomp until your bones are broken and your body is dead. The Moabites 
the Amorites, the Mennonites, they're coming. They're not just coming to say, hey, let's have yeah, it's a good time, let's fellowship. They're coming to destroy. They're coming to take what God had promised his people. It's very interesting that God puts out there, in, or the king puts out there, he says, ordered, he asks the people to come to, Jer- to Jerusalem from Judea. And he says, let's seek the Lord's help. He prays, he fasts. Because we're going to seek God. This is number one, if we're going to have victory over the devil, we've got to pray and fast. That's why I was so, so blessed by the prayer meeting we had during the fast. The people were attending and they were praying and, you know, uh, seeking God for great things. And you could feel the presence of God. That's more than just an exercise. More than when we gather together, whether that be in the morning or before a service. That we're praying and contending for God to do something powerful in the earth. Powerful in Rochester. Rather than giving up and running, they seek God. Second Chronicles 19.3 For there is so much good in you that you have removed the Ashtaroth poles throughout the land and that you have committed yourself to seeking the Lord God. You know, the tragic thing that's a reality is if you don't pray when the enemy attacks, often it doesn't force you to your knees. It forces you away. If it's not already in you before the attack, it's often not going to be found there during the attack. Ezra says, because this had been determined to study out the law, the Lord, and teach degrees and regulations to all the people of God, he's seeking out, he's coming. There's something that comes from the heart. You have to determine this in your life. You have to say, this is who I am going to be. There is a chance of repentance and and you to turn. It says in 1 Samuel, and I'll just paraphrase in 1 Samuel 7, Samuel is now finally the judge. This is after the whole fiasco of losing the ark of God and the Eli and his sons dying and, and the whole thing that goes on there. Now Samuel is now the prophet. Now they see him. All of Israel sees him as the man of God. He comes and he says, if you'll return to the Lord your God with all your heart, put away your foreign gods and your images. The idolatry, the same Ashtaroth that that Jehoshaphat has to deal with. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him. He'll rescue you from the Philistines. He goes on to say, fast and pray, but don't be afraid. Jeremiah says, when you look for the Lord, look for me, do it wholeheartedly. You will find me. Something about having it already established in your life. That if it's there, it's there. And in a time of crisis, if it's not, it's not. So that has to be established ahead of time. Then another fascinating thing they do for victory, after they have their prayer meeting and some prophecies go forth, in chapter 20 of our text, 
They go and engage the enemy straight on. And how does he do it? Not with weapons, but with praise. Early in the morning, the army of Judah went out, this is verse 20, to the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people in all Judea. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you'll succeed. After counseling the people and the king, appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And when they came, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, his faithfulness endures forever. Praise is like prayer and fasting. It's either going to be there in your life, ahead of the attack, or it's not going to be what you do during the attack. Pastor Greg recently asked the Prescott congregation, he said, he made the statement, he said, we have great song service, don't we? We praised God during that time. Question is, did you? I'm like, wow. Because it has to be there in your life. Why singers? Can you, you know, in the carnal sense, what are they, fodder? What are they, to take the first spears and arrows? Singing is vocal. Singing puts you out there. I don't know if you know this, but when you're sneaking up on an enemy, you usually don't go, enemy, I'm coming. Here I come. Hi. Hey, did you see me yet? If you're singing, people know you're singing. You ever done this? You ever been singing in your car when you're alone? I mean, you're, you look over and somebody's staring at you and from another car. The singers don't have weapons. They're just singing. There's something about singing in song service, praising God, lifting your hand, that is so dynamically spiritual. It's amazing. God is not just an egotist who is asking people to just, you know, tell, tell him how great he is because he's, he's on the verge of just losing it, man. The whole universe had spinning out of control, and man, I need my ego pumped up. And so just tell me how good I am, please. Tell me, tell me, tell me, please. That's not God. What praise does is for us. It assures us God is good. It assures us that God will help us. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thank God! Exclamation point. He gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Praise. Lifting your hand. Not just a lame. Like a polite clap. 
you know, at award ceremonies like the, like the Oscars when they announce the, you know, uh, the best actor, the best actress. I mean, they're, they're rowdy. But when they announce the best light key individual for movies, it's like just that polite little, like, who? Mike? Who? You know, like, I'm like key guy. Nobody knows who a like key. Nobody even really knows what a like key guy does, except for maybe like key guys. I don't know. Right? That polite clap. They are singing. I can imagine that they started off a little unsecure. We're singing. What does singing mean? But as they begin to talk about God's mercy, God's faithfulness, the songs we sing, the words that are in them, they're not just doctrinally good. They're not just filler time for people who are running late. They're not just to get everybody organized and kind of settled down. They are to invite the presence of God and put our hearts in a state where we can hear from God where God can help. That's why we praise God. Pastor Mitchell was asked many years ago, how do you establish it? You know, what are some of the fundamentals you have to establish in church? And people thought he was going to say all sorts of things about, you know, maybe righteousness or, you know, preaching or offerings or whatever. And he says, praise. Establish praise. I know that there was a time where praise became an idol of itself. And it was almost lost because of that. But praise is power. Our text tells us then, verse 22 of Second Chronicles 20, at that very moment they began to sing and praise the Lord. It caused the armies of Amorite, Moabite, and Mount Syria to start fighting among them selves. God gave them victory. You read on in the story, and I'm just going to paraphrase. They kill each other. They, it, it, God gives them the victory. They end up killing all themselves. They go in three days to take away all the spoils. Three days. There is a whole army of men. They're going through the camps. They're taking out the gold. They're taking out the food, the clothes. They're taking everything away. The horses, the sheep, whatever would have been there. Three days to take all of the spoils away. What began as an attack turned into a blessing. What began as an intimidation turned into a victory. That they said, you know what? We're going to be blessed. When you contend, when we contend, we're entering into new realm. We got our building. We took our first team outside, kind of, of the United States. Puerto Rico is kind of the United States, kind of not. I have full intentions of doing more of those into places that need. I've had to turn down invitations already this year because of timing to Uganda and to Jamaica. I know that God's bringing us into new places and new levels. And I also know that the enemy attacked. 
And so some of you who have been under assaults, sleeping, anxiety, bizarre incident, couples who are fighting over the dumbest things that at the end of your argument you can't even remember why you were arguing in the first place. Those are assaults from hell. Those are the marks that the devil is stirring here as we've stepped into a new building and new things are happening and we're finally getting out of COVID and all of these things are happening right now. Good things. Don't let the devil stop you. Know that this intimidation season is only going to be turned into victory. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. God is a superior God. We don't just serve a God, we serve the God. He is mighty and powerful. And maybe you're here and you're not right with God. You're not born again, you're not saved, you're not right with him. You can't make a deal with the devil and think it's going to turn out okay. And if I just make a deal, it's going to be fine. I'll just leave him alone. He'll leave me alone. Oh, I've heard it all. It doesn't work out well that way. He is seeking whom he may devour. You know, Roy and Frigg, the two guys in, in Las Vegas who used to work with the tire, Frigg, Frigby or whatever his name is. Siegfried, thank you. Thank you. You know, worked with these tigers, knew them. One day it attacked. One day it almost killed one of them. Because they're wild creatures. You cannot make a deal with the devil. Maybe you're here and you're not right with God. And you said, ah, I'll just leave him alone. He'll leave. But sin is ruining your life. You need to come to Jesus. Slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. Not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe this is exactly what happened. You, may, you thought, ah, oh, if I just back down, I just back down, he'll leave me alone. He won't. And you'll never get the spoils. You'll never see the victory that God has waiting for you. If you just press forward, flip up your hand. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. You've been going through assaults like this. As I'm mentioning, or maybe there are other salts, children, whatever, finances. All sorts of things can happen. Jobs, bosses, manifest, whatever it is. Like, no kidding. It's not surprising. And it may seem overwhelming. And it may seem that you're there. Like I said, I've got numbers of calls, sleeplessness, anxiety, all of these kind of, it's like, what is going on? I know what it is. It's the enemy of our soul trying to attack and get us to be intimidated to back down. Keys, prayer and praise. And they have to be already there because if they're not, you're not going to grab after them in the moment of the attack. We're going to pray, we're going to praise God, but let's all stand first. We're going to sing a song, give people an opportunity to come and find a place to pray, and God to help you. Let's sing that song.
What song? You're my refuge. You're my refuge and my strength. You're the God of my salvation. The mighty Prince of Peace and the Lord of every nation and of your power there shall be you to do right now, wherever you are, I want you to stand to your feet. What we're going to do is we're going to praise God. I remember in revivals when I was a new convert, preachers would come in and, and they would challenge us to do that. Just lift your hands. Let's not just do the typical 10 second, 15 second kind. Praise God. Give Him glory. Think about what He's done in your life. Think about how He's going to help you. Think about how he's going to say, and you're going to see, we're going to see a break in this. A break. Two individuals in Chicopee got filled with the Holy Spirit at a Bible conference when they began to praise God. No one was praying for them. No one was, you know, they just began to lift their hands. They just began to sing out in that atmosphere. They, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. That showed me something as a pastor that there's there's a power and a dynamic that we, it's not just lifting and filling God's ego. There's something going to spiritually dynamic and can change in your life when you begin to praise God. So let's give Him glory. Let's give Him praise in here. Worship His name. Father, right now, God, we love You, God. We are glorifying You, God. Worship the 
la 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 por forrase, aleluya.